All right, we're here for episode two of It's Server Time. As always, I'm your host, Maui Snake. Joining me are Note and Josh Mix. But today we have a very special guest for you guys. It's Haka. You may know him from his casting work. Uh, he's been at big events such as Epicenter, which is where I met him. Good times, good times, Haka, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, but also check out Haka's YouTube content because that stuff is killer. That stuff is honestly so good. The The questions you're asking, Haka, on your channel and the way you're providing answers is really interesting. And some of your videos are a little bit obscure, like what team can you build? What's the best team you can build <laughs> using every letter of the alphabet to start players' names? But I enjoy all of it nonetheless. So Haka, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. You know, you said I'm a, a very special guest as well, which makes me feel like there's a lot of pressure, but I'm also like the only guest. So I don't know if there's like no pressure. I don't know which way to go with it. You <laughs> there's know? a lot of pressure. You need to set oh, a very high oh, no. expectation. Yeah, you're, you're setting the bar right now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, don't don't uh, don't make it too tough for anybody to follow up on because uh, I'm sure they won't appreciate that. Just like, can we get Haka back? That's that's what the YouTube comments are going to be reading from here on forward. But Haka, I had one question for you before we jump into the pod. And I was wondering, as a as a fellow talent, how do you prepare for events? What is your process? I, I always, I've always just been someone who over prepares dramatically. Like I always have it in my head that I'm just going to forget what to say on the spot. And I'm like, I want something in my notes I can look at and just read. So it sounds like I vaguely know what I'm talking about. So I normally just look at ratings in general. I like to look at opening kill stats to get like a rough idea. If I don't know anything about a team, like I can kind of see this guy might be the entry that they kind of don't work sometimes, but generally they, they do a pretty good job. And yeah, I, I just write a bunch of stats down and then watch games is is pretty much what I do. Um, that's that's basically it. There's nothing too special about it. Um, I think we we all in general probably just watch a lot of Counter-Strike as well. So that, that kind of helps, right? <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. So, all right, I, let's hit. I do. Wait, I do have a question. Um, okay. All right. So what what is the best team you can build using <laughs> the letter of the alphabet? What was, uh. what was the answer? I think it was E, because you've got like electronic and liege. Oh, was it, it N? Was N, yeah, with, with Nico. Oh, with, okay, with Nico. I feel like I made that video a while ago, and I look back <laughs> at it now, and I realize a bunch of the players I chose were wrong. So maybe I have to do it again. I don't Ooh, know. part two. It, it can use a revision. I remember, yeah, I'm pretty sure you you picked someone in like S, and I think it wasn't Cersen. So, because it was a few, yeah, it was before Big got really I good. I think I put Som in there because he just got the MVP. Yeah, electric. you put Som. Now he's literally you gone. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're gonna pick a Valorant player to pick to make your S team. I don't know about that. Mm. Maybe, maybe though. Maybe a Valorant. Yeah, rumor, a rumor any, Valorant. Player. All right. Well, if you I'm try gonna make any that North American up. super team right now, you're gonna be making probably picking for Valorant players <laughs> <laughs> at this rate. All right. Let's head into uh, what just happened over the weekend. So ESL. EU actually completed with Astralis taking the championship over Navi in a reverse sweep. But let's talk about how Navi get there, their run to the grand finals. Anything? Uh, what what stood out to you, Mix, in particular during their run here? Any anything special about their game? Uh, and the run to the finals mostly just Electronic in that heroic game, just absolutely prime performance from him it was absolutely absurd. When he's like performing like that like he plays so many like important spots of the map that it's just completely shutting down whatever the other team wants to do so it's just always really impressive um yeah that was all that was all i really noticed until the run there because i think before that they only played complexity 
I think they were using NATO at the time. So, yeah, complexity is NATO. Oh, yeah, go no, they, they they had that really close series against Mouse. Oh, Mouse, Mouse. Oh, sorry, yeah. that was the first they one. Yeah. Watch the back, and that was. Ooh. I, that, I genuinely think they should have lost that first series. I was watching back that Dust 2 game, and there were loads of rounds that Mouse actually just choked. Like, they made, like, dumb mistakes. And that they would have absolutely said themselves they made dumb mistakes to lose that game. Because Na'Vi on the first half of that game on Dust 2, this is the thing that tilted me. Literally every chance they get to force buy, they do it. So the way to beat Na'Vi is leave them with enough money that they can just about force buy and just give them a bad force buy, honestly. Because they just, like, hang themselves sometimes. Like they got five T rounds on Dust Two just because they kept forcing. That that was pretty bad. But their, their run to the final, obviously, from that point was great. Like you said, that win against Heroic was sick. Yeah, I actually watched, and then once they got to the final, I think the first match they won was actually D two, and like that was like yeah. the only map I feel like I really watched, and I feel like Navi had like a really good T side. Not like really good, but it was definitely better than like all the other ones. It was fairly quick pace and plays. They're really like trying to take it to Astralis, which is all you can really do on, on Dust 2. Um, and like Astralis, even like that Dust 2 game, like Astralis had their chances to win that game. There was like two rounds like late in the game on Navi CT side where like Simple just managed to find like a really crucial opening pick in like one round where Perfecto found like two important kills on the B side that could have like completely opened up the half for Astralis. So like, even that game was cutting like really thin margins. I feel like it was the same for Navi in the grand final there, because like throughout New Train and Overpass, there's so many rounds where they just they had advantages or they they just couldn't close out situations where they had like post plants. Like I remember there's a round on Overpass at the end as well where they had I think a three v two and it was <laughs> yeah. I don't know fourteen eleven or something, and Astralis rotated like all the way around from one guy from flanking into heaven and they went in at the last 10 seconds and they just pulled off the retake because Flamey was like peeking out of pit and yeah that was a that was a sad round to watch as someone who predicted Navi to win that series <laughs> yeah the Navi their T sides weren't that sick to me at times so yeah even just in terms of being very readable so there was um, against Astralis on Nuke on their on their T side where they really struggled to find rounds. They got their like first T round by some sort of ramp hit where they made S attack fall, they and then they took lower and they hit it and it worked out pretty well for them. And that was the only thing that worked out for them some, up until that point. And then they made a very readable re-hit doing like pretty much the exact same thing. And Astralis isn't a team that you can really do that against because S attack isn't wasn't just gonna fall the same way. So this time Astralis was like right there. Device was there with the op. Esotech was fighting it. They instantly just shut it down. And so kind of progressing further into the game, once again, like it's like similar things. Like they can't get anything going. So they go back for ramp. They try to do the similar thing. Like they're falling back into the only thing that's worked for them. And this time Astralis gives it to them, but instead Navi just kind of walked into a trap with Magisk and Esotech already lower and like a crossfire. So Astralis just like read them like throughout the entire series and like they're just consistently a step ahead. Yeah, you could definitely tell that Astralis, they, even with Esatag just kind of slotting in, it, it really felt like so many of the times they could just make calls like that and reads like that, and they had those fallback setups as well. It wasn't just Esatag, uh, fight ramp, and then fall off, kind of like what you would see a normal ramp player doing, like Flamey, for example. They actually have, they had plans for later in the round when, you know what, let, let's trap them, like you said. The fact that Astralis have that, that level of depth in terms of their setups is just super impressive, but... I wanted to talk about what I felt like was a stark contrast, actually, on Navi. I think you guys have already been kind of mentioning it. The fact that 
Uh, their T sides are kind of lackluster, but their CT sides are brilliant at times. Yeah. What do you guys, how would you guys credit uh, the fact that their T sides, it's the, it was the fifth best, admittedly, at ESL Pro League, but it was a sub 50% win rate. And for making it to the grand finals through the upper bracket, you would think that your T side would probably have a better round win percentage. I, I also think for me, when I watch this Navi team, like the T rounds they do win are normally on like Dust 2. Like, so that kind of skews their stats a bit because Dust 2 is, I, I almost feel like it's kind of like figured out where you, you can just go for those long flashes a bunch of the time and it feels pretty 50 50 a lot of the time. Like, I, I really wanted to see when I saw that um, Mao's got like 10 CT rounds against Navi, I wanted to see like, were they doing some good stuff? Like, were they shutting down the long plays? And it was like, yeah, Carrigan was throwing some fine flashes, but it's just like the same normal flashes. It's just that Na'Vi normally just bang like 10 flashes out long, it feels like. And then from there, they do do a really good job at using that and exploiting that. Like sometimes they'll take long and then Simple will go for the pick down mid and catch the rotations and stuff. That They'll make those sort of uh, reads at, at the right times. But I do feel like that's the one map where they get like a lot of their T rounds and then like even in the final, that was the one map they did pretty well on the T side. I think on overpass, they did okay as well. But ju just in general, their T sides look so lackluster. And I, I remember as well, I was analyzing uh, the CIS uh, Road to Rio thing or whatever, like one of those tournaments. And, and they were doing the same thing against CIS teams where they just play against like Gambit youngsters and show way too much respect against this team that like you, you don't need to be waiting until 20 seconds every round. It's it's just so weird. Yeah, I was watching them like on train, for instance, on their train T side. Navi like, for one, Astralis is like counter aggression on their train CT side, which is so fucking phenomenal. Like they were constantly in Navi's face, like constantly pushing up like the inner lower ramp and stuff against them. But when even when Navi like tried to counter and they like tried to do like fast T-Con stuff or fast ladder stuff, Astralis had like such good mollies to counter it. But to to expand on that, it didn't really seem like Navi had like good contingency plans for like when they get mollied out of these spots and like it didn't seem very well thought out or anything. They just kind of like would toss a smoke on it and like obviously that's what you do. But it seems like something they even hadn't really talked about much beforehand. So when these scenes happen and like their pathing stuff's getting all fucked up, Astralis is just abusing the fuck out of them every time they're like trying to come out of T-Con or you know, trying to change up the pace and go faster. And then every time they were trying to go slower, Astralis just abused that too. Yeah. yeah, and on that note, like to combine with the fact that they go for those four spies where they'll throw like a single AK on simple and they'll have tech nines or something across the board, when Astralis disrupts them like that, it really messes with those four spies because you're you're they're isolating either the single rifler or they're isolating the trade player uh whenever they do that. And so there's a number of times where they force bot, but their their hero buy was like nowhere near enough to trade off the kills or to get the entries off of their players. And so Navi's like classic little force buy strat just straight up backfires on them because they don't have proper economy after that either. Yeah, it does feel like Astralis are less susceptible to getting forced by or kind of hero by uh, losses against. And it's, uh, I, I really have to touch back on, I think, what, what Hawka brought up in the Mouse Sports series with Navi is that against Astralis on Nuke, Navi, like we would see on the half buy rounds or rounds that are supposed to be kind of light buys or almost no buys, uh, too much investment from Simple and Electronic in particular. And I'm glad that they trust their players with deagles on those kinds of rounds. Like, I feel like that does create a win condition when you give simple or electronic a deagle. But 
they also uh they they ended up lacking firepower in the upcoming rounds like there was a there was a round i think it was 12 8 where uh in the previous round simple and electronic both bought deagles so in the following round electronic had to buy a galil and then it was a gun round and simple had a deagle again with an art with armor and full utility they did win this round that i'm that i'm talking about um and i think simple was able to pick up a gun along the way on that but it, it's weird that they are willing to just kind of forego having really solid gun round buys and just having all of the utility that a normal team would want on a t side you would think that they would have some kind of structure where okay if we all have five ak's in full utility we know the play we're going to run we're comfortable with some kind of default or even just a set piece but they're so much more relaxed in terms of economy it feels like they just kind of take their foot off the gas in, in games like that sometimes where it's just they just believe in simple and I mean, it's hard not to, but it's also, uh, it can come back to bite you too. So it's, it's pretty rough out there. I also, I also wanted to bring up the fact that their contingency plans, like Mick said on against heroic, it, it felt like so many of their contingency plans were just, it's mirage and simple or anyone can just kind of walk out and just get find multi-frags. But we saw that that kind of stuff did not work against Astralis. So it's, it's good to see that kind of stuff get punished, but Let's go to the. I kind of want to go to the bright side of Navi a little bit. So what, yeah, I was gonna speak on yeah. like their their CT side and like one yeah. like like a really crucial thing like just in general like their third most important player to me because obviously on your CT side you have simple on the main op and electronic playing like all the god spots like your CT side's usually gonna be pretty good, but also I think Perfecto is probably like the third best player at least for me on this team because like dude he has some even on t side like he has so many impact frags it seems like and he call he's always like coming up crucial with like super important kills in the round and like it seems like every time i see him like he's just having tons of impacts and playing like doing really good at like the spots he's playing and playing around them yeah Do you guys I, I, i'm fully oh. with you that especially just quickly on dust too like they play with simple and electronic on the a side and like perfecto does so well on that b site because I, I was worried when i first saw them setting up like that i was wondering damn is this b site going to get exploited with with flamey and perfecto there like they're, they're not stats wise like great players perfecto is actually just killing it so yeah i i agree he's he's really important to this team and i I'd, I'd say he yeah probably is for me at least like the third best player on this team i i think stats wise he's not but he fills his role really well. Sort of feels like how Taco used to be for for the old LGSK in the sense that like he's consistent and enough to clutch the rounds that are really needed, and also he'll just find impact in spots where you don't think that like traditionally players won't be super impactful from. And he's also just a very good anchor, I find. So he fits into the team really well. He's sort of filling. He's sort of making up for some of the gaps that I feel like Flamey has when he's not hitting his stride. Um, and that's sort of what Navi seems to suffer from a lot of the time because they used to have the the simple electronic duo always showing up. They're like they tended to miss that third player that they would need sometimes to win series. And Perfecto is making up for some of that gap with uh, with Flamey missing on some of those. He just he just feels like a perfect like third complement to simple and electronic. Just like just a solid rock. I don't think he's ever like losing them games. Like he's just doing his job. He's doing it really well. Constantly having impacts really like a solid player for navi to be able to rely on yeah he's he has slotted in impressively uh he's he does look he, he looks like he can definitely I, I i wouldn't know if i can say today if he's absolutely the third best player on the team but i mean i might have to give it to him i, I think you guys have pretty uh compelling arguments for him there but let's move off navi so a team that 
didn't really get as deep as some of us had hoped. I mean, I personally wanted to see Big make a deep run. Um, they dropped in the lower bracket. They dropped because of Heroic. They lost 2-0 to Heroic, and then they lost to Mouseports. And I want to know if you guys make anything of that. They still came in the top six. But when you were big coming into this tournament, I'm sure you at least envisioned a top three finish. So what do you guys think went wrong on the big side? Uh, Rewatching the big games for Miles especially, um, the Inferno game, I remember, it was like actually a pretty close game. I think they crumbled on their CT side. And there was like two rounds late in that late in that game where they absolutely should have like slam dunk closed out rounds. It was like a 5v3 and like a 5v2. And they just ended up taking like a bunch of 1v1s and losing them to like ROPs or something, like both times. Just like, well, there's one round they like tried to go, there was like a 3v5 for Mouse. And then Big, instead of like waiting to retake B, is just like trying to push through the smoke and like trying to boost. And just overall, it's like something you, you commonly see in teams is like they're too antsy to like end the round and get the kills, you know? The two, they see the win condition to end the round now and they want to take it right now. And so they end up costing themselves and shooting themselves in the foot. Um, and yeah, I mean, just I think big overall, like their T sides were still mostly fine to me, uh, especially like on Inferno. And then it just seemed like they weren't able to find consistent success overall. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I, I don't even remember much of that game against Mouse Sports. I remember the one against Heroic, where like just individually they were they were just getting dicked. Like I'm, I'm gonna be honest, they were just not having fun in that in that one. Uh, that was the, the series I saw. So, yeah, I, I don't really know, like, if there's anything specific that I'd go to personally. Like, I don't think there was anything that looked massively wrong with them. Um, I think Searson was still looking pretty good when I saw him this tournament. He He's someone who has completely, like, come into his own, right? He's he's suddenly in contention for one of the best orpers, it seems. So, yes, yeah, Searson's still great. I, I the, the one thing with this big squad is always... The firepower for me is is kind of weird in that obviously you have Searson and Tabson, and then I feel like you really do need Zantares to be pretty solid, and I don't know if he always is that for this team, because Keto I think, fills his role well. I think he's a good entry. Tizian, again, I, I think he's pretty good at what he does. He's, he's that supportive player we talk about. Zantares is always the one for me where, especially even when he first came into big, it always looked to me that to begin with, he was never really that integrated into this team for a while. It, it seemed to take a long time to actually getting him involved. Like I, I saw a bunch of rounds when he first joined Big where he was just getting sent off alone on the side of the map and, and just basically trying to run distraction, it felt like. And I, I think they're starting to get better with that. But I, I still don't know if he's getting to the level I'd want from him consistently enough is the only thing I might say. Yeah. I was going to say, speaking to big CT side on Inferno as well, also like kind of tying this into something we talked about last episode with Inferno being like so T-sided, was Big's like rotations were just super exploited like throughout the entire half. So Mouseport started off by like pressuring B a lot, and then they would just go and they would attack the A setup between Xantars and Tizian, who were just isolated on site, and they just couldn't hold it. They just were doing like a poor job. And so after that, Big gets caught out having no B control. They get caught out by a B exec. And so they obviously tried to adjust to that. They tried to, once again, go back towards like three-man B and stuff. And they just get caught out, they get caught out again. And Mouse uses the same like Xantar's Tizzy and like one-two setup on A. So it's just another case where big one couldn't get the right reads on Mouse on their Inferno and be in the right setups at the right times. And just getting, not being able to like 
dictate the pace on their CT side Inferno, which is something a lot of teams struggle with now. Yeah, I think that something that what struck me the most is that I watch big really closely at CS Summit. Like I casted all their games there. And when I watched them here, it felt it was I, I looked at the stats, actually. So they backed this up. It, it just felt like on their T side, they didn't have the same kind of a team. It, it never felt like they were slotted in positions. I guess their spacing could be attributed to this, that they are that they weren't trading off of each other nearly as well as I'd seen them in the past. It didn't feel like they had that pack mentality with some of the plays that they, they made. And I feel like they are almost kind of in a microcosm going through a lot, what a lot of the best teams in the world in Counter-Strike's past have gone through, which is kind of like you work really hard to become this top team because your strats are really innovative. Everyone's grinding their mechanics and everything like that. And then what a lot of teams like, I think LGSK was the biggest uh, kind of perpetrator of this. It's just that you you kind of rest on your laurels in terms of your tactics and your strategies. And so you just kind of begin to believe that you are the best players in the world individually, even though a lot of what got you your success was your tactical play. And then because you believe in yourself a little bit too much, your contingency plans kind of fall out of order because you don't have that guy behind you to trade because you kind of just had a confidence. and. You know, it's a kind of rightly deserved confidence for some of these players uh, in terms of how, mu how much skill they have. But at the same time, you're always just going to be more consistent, especially in a double elimination bracket, if you're really waiting for your teammates flash or you're waiting for your teammate to get right behind you. But I saw just a few more, actually quite a few more individual duels and liberties being taken for the big side. And it just didn't, it didn't feel like they always had that same kind of like just really cohesive structured movements around the map and it, it didn't feel like everything played off of each other it was a lot of uh, a few more dry peaks from certain players it, a lot of uh, the spacing just never felt as as solid as it did in the months prior to this one for me yeah so. i did notice that big seem to be like relying a lot more on like dry peaks and just taking shit up fights um on their t sides at epl and yeah that is something that can just like naturally happen like it's not something that a team like actively thinks about or something you know is actually right. making a decision to do it's just each player individually just kind of you kind of start to rest a bit more and more you start to you know fall back on other things that's like something that i think always has separated astralis from like some of the other top teams that have gotten there is that like they never seem to really let up with that they always seem to kind of have that that same core like teamwork mentality it never seems to let up so it's just something that i'm sure big is like somewhat aware of i'm sure they something they are now like working on but it's something that can be hard to really to really get back and grind back i haven't had the chance to fully watch yet but um in the hltv confirmed episode that they just did with kerrigan uh he mentioned how they changed up a lot of stuff going into that match against big yeah uh and i think for a team like big who works so hard to prepare for matches like these um when they hit that sort of wall where stuff isn't what they really expected they sort of resort into that sort of style where they're dry peaking a lot more, or at least it prompts them to do it a little bit more. And that's what it seemed like was happening in that mouse sports big game when they couldn't really hit their stride with what they expected to see versus what they actually were seeing on the server. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I will also say quickly on, uh, on big as well, like losing to mouse sports in the lower bracket. I, I actually don't think that's as bad of a loss as it seems, especially because 
from what we've seen from Mouse Sports, the, the decider map went to Inferno, and they basically got to play Inferno against a bunch of teams. And like that's the map they beat Astralis on as well, right? Like they, they did pretty well on Inferno throughout this whole thing. I think we'll, we'll get onto Mouse later, but they basically only had to play a, a few maps throughout these whole playoffs. So I, I almost feel like if they'd have seen Mouse Sports, and if Mouse Sports were more of a known quantity, we might have seen like a different veto. We might have seen more of that prep. So I, I do kind of think it could just be that matchup in the lower bracket just not being a great one. We could, we could jump into Mouse. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, straight in? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Uh, so Mouse, they took down big. They made it, I'd say, deeper than most people expected. Uh, they had a kind of rocky... I didn't, I didn't catch all their group stage games, but they went four and three in there. And... Um, I think they, they had a couple losses to teams that I don't... It didn't feel like that should indicate that they're a team that should make it to the top four of a tournament. But uh, at the same time, they took really Astralis the distance. Uh, final map went to OT on Nuke. And they they kind of handled Astralis on Inferno as well. So this Mouse Sports team with BMAS, uh, where to begin with this? It really feels like this team is actually kind of competing again. So... Uh, no, actually, no. What, what have you noticed about, about Mouse Sports so far? Um, well, something I mentioned last time as well is I think Rops has definitely really hit his form a little bit more with yeah. since BMS was added. Like, he's really found, I guess, his positions. I think it was also mentioned that he was secondary calling a little bit. He was uh, piping up a little bit more mid-round, uh, which is, I think, really fitting for the positions he plays as well. Um... Also, the positions that Kerrigan has put BMS in versus where he was on phase, I personally prefer a lot more for him. Like, he's now, he was anchoring B on Mirage before, which just doesn't, it's not really conducive to BMS's skill set. Um, and now he's playing under Balkon Palace. Uh, on Nuke, he's, he's defaulting Lobby a bit more, I believe, on T side. Um, so, in general, I think the, the positional changes they've made and the way that Rops has been able to sort of work around that, uh, really come together for the team to sort of hit their hit a different level than they were and sort of revitalize them. It's it's sort of like a classic Kerrigan revitalizing a lineup with some <laughs> yeah. form of change yeah. on it. Yeah, I still see one sh like I really want them to adopt this like just overall just being like a really aggressive team with the kind of like rifling skill that they have because they don't have nearly kind of like the same team with the ops because like. Just for example, in that game against Big, Miles found success playing like an aggro mid setup against Big. Big tried to take Big. I mean, Big tried to take mid. Miles was already there, like triple stacked, you know, playing like a super aggro rifle setup. And then after that, Miles tried going back into more like a double op, playing more like defaulty. And Big was able to really like pick them apart because the ops and whatnot just weren't really doing enough. And I think in general, like, I think this lineup, this like rifling core, can work as long as like, they're using the riflers to the like using that kind of rifling power, like skill power that you have almost to like its fullest extent, and not trying to rely on double ops too much, even though it's not even though it's tempting to do because obviously, yeah, people like players are always going to think they're like sick offers, but yeah. <laughs> it, it can it can always sometimes just bringing out the rifles is better. Yeah, I, I think there's a there's a lot of ways you can go with this Miles one, especially because uh, there was that interview with Carrigan, like Note was saying on HLTV confirmed. He he brought up a lot of cool stuff, but I, I definitely noticed the same thing with the orping, where in the game against Navi, Carrigan was orping, and Navi at times on their CT side of Dust Two were literally like flashing and peeking mid, 
I think just because they they thought that Carrigan would yeah. hit the shots, and it happened sometimes. Like Carrigan would just miss, and his teammates would die while they were running up mid to begin with. So that's a, a bit scary. And I think uh, Carrigan said on that podcast, he said, "Yeah, I've actually realized I'm not that good at orping. Maybe that's <laughs> not something I'm going to do going forwards." Because uh, again, man, I, I just think back to that opening game, that Navi against Mal's game on Dust Two. Like there was so many rounds. Firstly, where uh, Bimas, we can talk about him in a bit. Like he did a lot of great things in that game, but there were also a bunch of rounds in the late rounds where he did miss yes. play. Like there were yeah. like three or four rounds where he he didn't quite peak with his teammate or he pulled out a nade at the wrong time and basically did lose them the round. He did a lot of great things as well. Don't get me wrong, but but there is still this, he's a, a very raw prospect to me right now still. And I think I'm glad he is on this Mal's team with Carrigan because that that I think is what he needs right? Like Carrigan literally said in that HLTV confirmed thing, he said, my, my biggest strength as an IGL is being able to micromanage players. So he's almost like papering over that crack that is a big crack of Bimas's game right now where he, he does make those mistakes. And you can see it in the server. Carrigan is playing with Bimas a lot, kind of similar to what he did when Frozen first came into this lineup as well. So th th dude, there's just so many ways I can go with this. But yeah, this, this Mouse Sports team, I think it's going to be one of the teams I'm like most looking at going forwards to see how they do. Yeah, because something I even I kind of brought up like similar to like the Kerrigan struggling offing thing, and Chris Jay's also always been kind of like a streaky offer himself. So like some like a comparison I made was like to when Liquid first brought in like Nath and they first went like that full rifling core. They always had Nitro, who was like always like a pretty stable guy, like a pretty stable offer. Not not like a star, but he was like you know consistent like 1.05 rating guy, like hits his shots, you know. And Mouse don't really have a similar thing in their op. They have kind of two people that are going to be a lot more streaky with it, and Kerrigan and Chris J. And obviously, you're not going to put Rops on like a main op thing. So they don't really have like a solid option there. So rather than try to emulate that too much, I think they have like a really solid like core of like really aggressive riflers and Kerrigan, Chris J, and Bimus that they can really use to like a full extent. And then Rops and Frozen can also like kind of play around them. So I yeah. think using that to like. A, be the, a better extent is like kind of like the path I would go, at least if I was mouse sports. Sort of like a liquid esque sort of setup. Yeah, yeah. But even more like, even like almost more aggressive with the riflers and just because you have three guys in Biomass, Chris J and like Kerrigan, that are all willing to just like run to a wall of fire and grenades to like sacrifice themselves and get on the bomb site. So having like that super strong, like that super strong cap capability of teamwork and being able to hit sites like that is like so strong when you so many rounds. Yeah. Something just quickly, something else that Carrigan said there is that he, he wants to be in less of those entry roles almost. He said on that HLTV confirmed podcast, because he has really good nade knowledge, right? Like he's running yeah. in first all the time and not being able to use his nades. So he literally said, I kind of want to not run in first as much because he's been tinkering with the roles. And he realized like if I've got all these god flashes, like I might as well be alive to use them, right? Yeah, and he can just send him like Kirk J, you can send him by mess frozen, like so. It's like a similar thing with uh, our old team. You know, Johnny, JT would always, was often like kind of running in first, but there's also other times where it's better to just have him like in the back throwing whatever fucking nades we need. And then just having, you know, Ricky or whoever just run in and die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or get three as Ricky does. As, as Ricky, as Floppy does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I just I don't want Frozen to change up his position on T sides or anything because he's so strong in some of those kind of pressure lurk situations where like I don't 
I don't actually at this point know in the past year, I don't think I would pick anyone in the world over Frozen to come out long a kind of late in the round. I, I the way he's able to just kind of interact with the CTs there and his movement, his crosshair placement, everything about it is just so fantastic that I don't want Frozen to just scale up Cat, actually. Like, the way he comes out long is, like, nothing short of just art at this point. It's, like, it's really just so beautiful to watch him come out there. And, like, he'll just toy with people in ways that are just, like, put exert the most pressure ever. Like, if he's at that long corner and there's someone at the ramp, like, he is the best at, at just kind of, like, super pressuring, like, making them as uncomfortable as possible. He'll basically, without even having to shoot a bullet, make the person who's at the long ramp, at the A ramp or anywhere in that kind of area, just feel like they're fucked. Like, there's no hope for them at that point. They, they, they see their life flashing before their eyes. It's like, okay, Frozen's just kind of at that corner right there, and I don't know if he's going to swing or not. So they'll, like, just super post on him, and then sometimes Frozen does swing when they're not looking, but sometimes he just waits for his, uh his cat his cat teammates to just scale up and then they're just screwed from the other side so yeah for I, context like yeah. if you're a long anchor on dust 2 like the most terrifying thing is knowing there's like a guy probably there in those long doors is like the other team's coming up cat yeah and, like half the time yeah. you're just like waiting for him or the other time you're just like trying to swing and just kill him so sometimes when you have like a frozen there or like floppy would like have like a breeze there and he's like dude i can't do anything like i just swing and he just kills me like i can't win this fight like so like when yeah. you have players that are that strong there it's just it's just such put you in such a tough position. It's like fight and probably die. Try to go help my teammates, and then this guy's gonna lurk and just kill us all. Like you, you yeah. don't really know what to do. Yeah, he's he's crazy. But um, back, bringing back to Bemis just briefly, I mm-hmm. I have to just kind of parrot what what Hawka said in that exactly. I, I, late, late round situations for him can be really kind of frustrating. There was one in particular where Simple was coming up the B ramp on a retake. It was a 2v1 yeah. situation and it was Rops. That. Yep, it was Rops on the on the like cubby or the yeah, the cubby kind of uh scaffolding area outside of the B the B window. And Bemis was at the window itself and Rops gets contact on the scaffolding. So you think if you're if you're Bemis in that situation, you simply just swing. Like that's all you need to do is you just swing. You know that simple he's damn good, but he's not like a top tier spray god that's always going to hit the transfer or anything like that you know so i mean actually he is a spray god what am i talking about but like but like you have to to assume you have to assume you can just win that right you have to assume that you could just trade off of that and he just holds his ground and, and i'm like you're really giving symbol a 2v1 or oh, two 1v1s in this situation instead of peeking them together like that you just can't do that and then he kind of takes some weird fight where simple uh Simple is just kind of hanging around the doors for a while, I think, and then BMS peeks late, and then Simple just takes him out, and it was just like, there's another one where BMS had a hero AK, and they had plat control, it was a 5v4 situation, they could have just kind of played back at that point, instead he decides to wide swing long from Goose, and it was like, you really could have just played the number game at that point, and they're in a bad situation, they have to retake from so many different, like, from far away angles, and you already have Cat to, to play the post plan from, and he just kind of takes that fight and loses it, and it's kind of like, I need him to clean up those situations for yes. me to really believe in this Mouse Sports team as a championship contender, because right now I think the skill on this roster is incredibly high, like, I think, I think, uh, I think these players actually are in some of the best roles they could be. Maybe maybe Kerrigan not as much on the entries per se, but honestly, I don't I think it's I think it's okay. I just think that in late round situations they can't be giving up advantages like that because that was a 16-14 game against 
against Navi. They could have 2-0'd mm -hmm. them. They could have yeah. continued in the upper bracket, and that probably would have guaranteed them a top three because they probably would have beaten Complexity also. So this is a team that, if it weren't for a few BMAS mistakes, they would have made it to the top three of this. And I think that would have just, right then and there, I don't even think we'd be questioning is this mouse sports team, what, what do they need to do to fix? It's just like, no, just keep playing at this point. So and something that's important yeah. to keep in the team though, is that even though like, obviously he does make those mistakes as like crucial mistakes is making sure you're not putting like too much pressure on him. Oh, despite yeah. that. oh for sure. And making sure that like, you know, other players in the team aren't like obviously upset with him in a way that's like going to affect him or something. Yeah. Like you want to make sure that like, yeah, like he's young. It's like, he's still a rookie. Like he's still like his first year. It's fine to make this shit just as long as like learn from it, you know, whatever, but making sure people aren't like, you know, going hard on him, making sure it's, he's not feeling like it's his fault that his team's fucking up and he's like gonna be on the chopping block or something. Yeah, I yep. think I think Bemis does an excellent job already on all of his CT side positions. I don't think I really need to see any change from that. It's it's just kind of, and even his T side, like actually in the, the Navi series, he, he was the best rated by a pretty decent margin. He had a 1.37 and Frozen had a 1.16 second place on the team. And Bemis was like a plus 22 with 89 ADR. Like he doesn't He's doing very well. Like oh, yeah. there's we have these small complaints, but don't don't mistake that for BMS just screwing up like royally in the situations where he's set up to succeed or even are just 50-50 for that matter. He's doing really well. It's just some late round decision making, which is like you're saying mix. I mean, those are things that rookie players will just kind of learn over time. Like you're going to shake off the nerves of it is simple in the 2v1. I don't want to swing and mess up here. But then also, I need to swing when I need to trade. Just like those little decisions, will he'll fix that. Like I have no doubt about it. So I'm I'm actually really excited for this mouse roster. But moving on from that, uh, let's get into uh, the championship team. Astralis here, really showing us that they are they're back in form in a way that is really fun to watch. And it doesn't exactly feel like the Zipnix Astralis. So I guess wanna, I want to open the floor up to you guys. How do you guys think that S-Tag has kind of changed the dynamic of this Astralis team? Or really, what does he bring as an individual? Just any anything. Uh, for me, S-Tag, like, for one, he's able to slot into all of his spots, which is like, I think I made a tweet about this, because it's just so impressive how he's able to, like, main op, he's able to play, like, rotator spots and, like, god spots. And then he's able to go and play, like, Sipnisk spots, which is more, like, ramp, like, anchor spots type thing. And he's But he's able to do that, and it's not like he's, like, playing them like just super standard or like super you know he's playing them like like a bitch or anything he's like he's actually going in he's like he's like fighting people he's like playing them in his own way he's like re-aggressing things he's you know taking fights and stuff it's just super impressive like the impact he's able to have on like all these spots despite having to fill in for zip mix and spots that he's probably not too familiar with so it helps astralis to keep like a similar dynamic and like it helps like glaive because he gets to play all his spots still you know other people get to stay comfortable while ssi gets to kind of bring maybe a slightly different approach to how he plays the spots and like maybe a slightly more aggressive way than Zipnix would yeah i i also something that i i tweeted out was that his versatility is obviously the the first thing when you're looking at a six-man roster right and the, the other thing that i i kind of noted is that even when he has maybe like a subpar game, I've very rarely seen him just disappear. I, re I very rarely see him just have a terrible game. I actually think in the final on Nuke, he did have a, a bit of a struggle on that map. I remember like his stats at the end looked okay, but he got like six or seven anti-eco kills. That was the one map where I was like, eh, he didn't do great on that one. There were still rounds, I think, though, where he played ramp pretty well in that game even. So th the main thing for me is just that 
he just plays like super solid and yeah just very rarely has a game where i'm just like man you you cost your team the game there like i i can't really think of any games where where he's done that there are some rounds where he might die but never like for a whole game and the other thing as well is that the reason why i think people were excited about seeing s attack as this sixth man is when he was on heroic he played so many different roles he played like primary orc for a bit he played as a like supportive player for a bit he played as a star player for a bit like he he actually has played basically every role it feels like on that team and, and that was the difference where when you look at bubski when he first came into this team he was playing like ramp on nuke and look i i, I like bubski i love him as a player but with the aggressive way he plays there were there were a bunch of rounds where it just felt like he wasn't comfortable there Whereas with Esetag, wherever he is on the map, he just always looks comfortable, which is actually very impressive because he hasn't really played at the top level. Like Heroica, a team who played in some top tournaments, but even in this final, I still felt like he looked super comfortable throughout. Yeah, it's kind I, of an interesting. Oh, sorry. no, go for it right now. I was going to say it's actually interesting about Bubski, just because you mentioned it. That like he is like kind of like a super aggressive player in that way, like a lurker almost. But he actually does often tend to prefer some of those like anchor spots, like. Yeah, like apps and like ramp and stuff, and it's, it's a bit of a weird switch, a bit of a weird, a bit of a weird fit, but that he prefers it. But it is kind of interesting for a player like that to prefer those spots. I like how we've ended up talking about Bubski, the one, the one player, <laughs> <we're looking laughs> player. I was actually going to mention Bubski because I I feel like out of the players that Astralis could have chosen as their as their sixth and seventh players, Asetag is definitely like top candidate in, in the sense that he can slot into basically any of these positions. And you're right, like he does seem very comfortable no matter where you plug him in. Uh, it also just feels like if you do plug him into a position he's not familiar with, he'll just learn it. Like he's just going to be one of those players who puts in the time and he figures out how to do it. And that's why he looks so comfortable in a lot of these roles as well. Like he's not one of those players who's going to like overrule to get like a specific position as well, which is perfect for Astralis if you're cycling in a roster like this. Bubski, I really hate seeing him on Astralis only because we don't get to see him play as much. Yeah. Like I really yeah. enjoyed watching Bubski play on, on Mad Lions and seeing him as the effective seventh man on this roster is a little bit sad because his style and the way he was sort of like making a name for himself only to get onto Astralis as the seventh man is a little bit sad. I wish we had a chance to be able to see him sort of functional yeah. a bit more. He's, he's one of the most interesting players for me right now, so it's definitely a bit sad that I don't get to see him play a bit more. I hmm. feel like I, like Bubski, it almost feels to me like Esetag is the six man for if Zipnix, Glaive, or yes. or Device kind of dip yeah. out. And then Bubski is the six man if it's Dupree or Magisk, I would have to assume, right? It just, yeah. it, it feels like they're, it, it almost is just like they're replacements of just a couple of players. Like they would slot in if, if, cer if certain people drop out, of the Astralis lineup for whatever for any variety of reasons, then they have set players for those just to, to fit. And it covers their bases pretty well. But I have to agree with you, note that I, I really wish we just saw that's just maybe me being a selfish, I don't know, just <laughs> viewer of Counter Strike, a fan of the game is just I want to see more Bubski. I I, I mean he was so exciting. He he broke open so many of the strats for Mad Lions when when uh just something wasn't working out or like they knew it was a tense moment that just needed some hero frag it was oftentimes bubsky that was coming up with it so it is a shame as a viewer uh, but that being said I, I guess we could jump over to this so this is gonna this is kind of more on the news side of uh just 
uh, Zipnix returning to Astral's active roster. How do you guys think this is going to impact their gameplay, or really, it does it does it feel like this is just going to be a slot in for? This is just a slot in for S tag more or less, right? Like sure. So, so so to get this straight out of the way, I hate the way Astralis make these announcements about one of their players coming back because they never mention who the player is replacing. <laughs> yeah, this is like okay. the third time they've done this. It's so frustrating because you have no idea who's going to be out of the lineup. So it's hard to make that sort of judgment as to as to how Zipnix is going to slot in. Because like, what if he comes in and he takes Magus' place? Like, it's so hard to predict, right? But I would assume that he would come in and replace Estetag because that's just that's just the nature of their roles. Um, personally, Zipnix was like the player that I watched the most when I was first getting into Counter-Strike. So I'm an internal Zipnix fan. I just like the style of gameplay that he has and how consistent and like he doesn't take... He he's always very smart about the peaks he takes, which I just I just love watching Zipnix play in general. So personally, I'm really looking forward to seeing him come back. I don't know who he's gonna replace. So <laughs> yeah. hard to call. Well, I feel like I feel like even if like Zipnix replaced like Device and Estatag was told he's got a main op for like a month now, he'd probably just be like okay, just. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, all right, sure. Just give me I've some time. Yeah, where I'm like heroic with worse teammates, I'll be fine, right? Yeah. Give me two hours in a DM, and I'll be good. <laughs> it was a curious point to think about Zipnix coming back and replacing someone other than Esetag, because that would make the Astralis lineup it had a completely different dynamic, right? Like, it'd probably yeah. just be Esetag like slotting over the feel like Glaive's role if it was Glaive or like whoever. Like the Magisk one would be the most interesting one because Magisk yeah. is like kind of like the other anchor. So I don't know how they would change that up. But I imagine that's probably not going to happen because he seems he's also like calling right now, even though Glaive's like back in the lineup. So that seems a bit unlikely. It's it's also slightly weird that you announce this even before you have a tournament coming up with this lineup after just winning a tournament. Like, what if you win this next tournament now? Are you going to be like, oh, 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 okay, I guess we still do this. But like, it's it's just a really weird spot to be in. And like, I, I guess that the Astralis just have to figure that out. I assume. Are we all assuming it's Zonic who's making these decisions, or, or is it? Uh, like I think Matt it was said. I think it was said. It was I think Zonic. one of the players said okay. something about Zonic has chosen to bring Zipnix back in, or something like that. Yeah. So interesting. I, I don't know like Zonic enough to know how that's going to go, or like if he's going to be biased to the original five players or what. Uh, but yeah, that's it's a uh, it's new territory, but it's it's going to be fun to watch for. That's for sure. I would have to assume that if another player steps out of the lineup, it would have to be Device to Pre or Magus, only because Glaive and Zipnix have now taken like breaks for three months, essentially. Mm. So it would seem that if there is another playing go a player out of the main lineup going out, it would have to be one of those three. But Esetag seems like the most likely candidate anyway. Mm, yeah. Okay, I do let's... think... And that is an RMR event, right? The last one? So that probably does play a part in it as well, because of the points and stuff. Yeah, yeah, they're probably even though the question in the future of RMR where it's actually headed is uncertain. I think that Astralis can still they still want the points and they want to get the max points that they can get for this. So it make it does make sense in that respect. Yeah, however that works. All right, let's off a, on it. Let's stay. Let's stay uh, within Denmark, but head over to Heroic now. Top three finish for them, and some of those wins were very convincing. Like, okay, after, after, like, for the first episode of its server time, we talked about what we thought the predictions were for this tournament, but Astralis just beat Heroic. 
or I mean, I mean, uh, vice versa. Heroic just destroyed Astralis that day. So it was hard for us to predict that Astralis was was going to make the deep, deep lower bracket run. They did. They ended up winning the tournament, of course. But I, it, it feels just like heroic, like with this team now, it, it kind of is, it feels like an any given day thing for me just a little bit where the form that they have like literally in 24 hours can just so drastically change and i'm i'm not entirely certain so what do you guys what have you guys been seeing for this heroic lineup like why can they just completely dismantle astralis one day but then get smashed by navi a couple days later so this isn't really a tangible thing but to me like a lot of you we it's going to be very difficult to see a lot of these teams be very consistent especially ones like big and heroic just because the turnover rate between tournaments is way too fast right now. Like EPL just ended two days later. We're already into yes, uh, like I am New York and where are these teams going to rebuild their playbooks where these like top teams haven't already anti-strated them or they haven't already picked apart what they're going to run a lot of the time. Cause for teams like big and heroic, they are like, they do anti-strat a lot and they also also are based around like running their own plays. And so if you're not going to get the chance to build that back up or even just practice independently you're losing a lot of time to be able to to fight back against these sort of teams who might have a higher individual individual level like you like today phase just absolutely destroyed heroic and to me that's just like it's it's part and parcel with not being able to get enough time to get get back into the into your own groove i guess i i also think for me when i watch heroic play they're one of the most I don't want to call it gambly, but it kind of feels gambly at times, some of the things they do. Like, I have casted a heroic game where in the first gun round on train, on their CT side, they stacked five players on the A site. Genuinely, they stacked five players on the A site. And maybe it's just, I, I mean, we, we probably shouldn't go into the, the coaching bug stuff because um, <laughs> that sounds <laughs> weird now. But um, I, I genuinely think that they're doing a lot of really interesting things. I assume it's Hunden that's bringing these things in. But, but even in this tournament, there were plenty of rounds where, where you just see them completely switch up their CT setup. Like they'll stack four players A on overpass and just push all the way through. Uh, and these are things that are, are very interesting to throw in there and can maybe throw teams off. I don't know how much of it is like Hunden being really good at game planning or maybe anti-stratting. I, I don't know if that's what this is, but some of the things they do look really crazy. And I, I like that they're trying them because I think there are rounds and they do it in rounds that make sense. Yeah. It's like a round where even if they lose, they're still going to have a buy and they just throw a complete gamble in there. And sometimes that can like screw with your opponents so much. Like, you know, yeah. you have another gun round after this anyway. So why not just throw a random gamble stack in there, you know? Yeah, for example, like um, when Astralis is playing Heroic on over, I actually felt even though Heroic like destroyed them the first time, I actually kind of felt that like if they played again, Astralis would probably win just because it feels like that's how it goes sometimes. And it, it felt like Astralis in the second game were just always one step ahead of Heroic. So like for an example, Astralis got on their overpass T side got like a five v four. Heroic responded by pushing Monster and like you know pushing Monster mid round, killing them, doing all that shit. And so the next round, so they do that before Astralis could respond. Astralis stays ahead of the game by the next round. They get another 5v4, and this time they just go straight to B before Heroic can even react, and they just have to face a B exec. But Heroic, the next round, they want to try to do the same thing again, and like dictate to face still. So they try doing like a monster push right at the start of the round. Like, you know, you smoke off monster from CT, 
and then you push stuff and you get flash pushed through that through that monster smoke. And they tried this, and the astrologers just so ready for it. Like they were so ready for some like B aggression or something. They just kind of ran into a blender, and it seemed like that was consistently the case when astrologers and heroic were playing the second time that astrologers pushes just seemed better calculated and better places at all times. Hmm. I, I do think as well. I, w- I do wonder if that comes back to like, like I was saying, I feel like Heroic switch up their setups a lot. I think once Astralis figure that out, I do think like, like you said in that second one, they kind of just seem to sit back. And then after they got that kill, they would very quickly make the call. Like they would very quickly seem like they knew exactly what was going on. So I, I think for me, like this Heroic team going forwards, are one of the teams that I'm most curious to see how they play out. Because the other thing I have with this team is, I don't know about you guys, surely all these players can't be this good, right? Like, they can't be this good. Like, how are all these random players who have been around in the scene for a while this good? I will say, I really like Nico on this team. Also, big props to Nico for taking, like, six months out of being on a pro team and then just slotting back into this team and being like, yep, okay, I'm just going to play and be good instantly. I think Nico does a lot of good things for this team. He makes a lot of the solo plays as well, which I think are important on this squad. Tess though, as an entry fragger, like he he looks so skilled. He looks so good. Right now, I, I the the thing with, for me with Tessis is when he first came onto the scene, he was playing in that MSL Optic team. Yeah, I don't think he was being paid. <laughs> yeah, the, didn't have a contract. That makes sense because, like, on that team, he he looked pretty bad, and now <laughs> he's doing like crazy stuff. Borup in some of these series was fragging way better than I expect him to. Like normally, I think he's he's solid in his role, but damn, he's been fragging as well recently. And and then even Cadian is someone who historically has been somewhat of a streaky player. And I I do like Cadian as a player. I think sometimes he's really good at stepping up in those big moments. But I, I do just feel like at some point, one or two of these players are going to slip down a little bit. And then I'm really curious to see how this heroic team goes. I actually wasn't too surprised. Oh, like after like how well this team has played and like because of how well they were put together because i always felt the roles made a ton of sense in terms of borup and stavin were kind of like your anchors um i actually i actually always rated nico pretty highly from my time on yeah. rogue and msl i always felt he had like super high mechanics and on that team he was playing like god spots and rotator spots and he was doing really well and i always just felt like on other teams he was just a bit more of a role player and like i always felt he could do like a ton i've always rated him pretty highly and katie and i've always it definitely felt he was streaky, but I really, I, I immediately liked the pairing with Hunden just because, like, I felt he was a good caller, but also there's a difference between having, like, a good natural ability for calling and, like, being able to set up a team really well consistently. So, you know, mm-hmm. having Hunden there for him and able to do that and, like, kind of guide him in the right way in terms of how he might want to call really helps a lot for Kadian and helps him as a caller. And so I think overall the team was just put together really nicely. And with Tessas... I think with him, it was just a case of like finding his confidence, maybe because on that Optus team, it was like his first team. Yeah, kind of came in like not really a good situation in the team just because of the whole management situation. But then immediately, once he kind of went to Copenhagen Flames, and he was able to kind of I think start building his confidence and start kind of building his way up, like kind of how he should. He's kind of really coming to his own in that way. Yeah, Tessus has really impressed me on this lineup. Honestly, he seems to fit their roles really well, and I I do wonder how much. Um, Katie and Hamdan's guidance has led to to him really finding his form. Like, I wonder which of the two have had more influence over him in that sense, uh, because that'd be really interesting going forward to see to see just how much further he can develop into sort of because he's really young. He's nineteen, and to me, that like shows that he has a lot of room to really 
blossom into his role and also just change up his entire game style. Yeah, I feel like Tessus, every single game, this guy is good for at least one 3k spray down. Like, his spray control is actually just bonkers good. Like, I, I, I rarely see players where I'm like, this, oh man, Tessus should, I mean, like, that guy should have transferred to that second or third guy. And with Tessus, he's one of the guys where it's like, I'm, I'm actually disappointed with him. It's like, come on, Tessus, you're better than that. When he doesn't hit the transfer. And, uh, I, yeah, he he is. Every really, rifle really on heroic genuinely has like really good mechanics. Like even yeah, even my time on rogue, I was like impressed by how like insane this guy's mechanics were. Like I think I remember him dropping like fifty kills in a scrim once on Mirage. So just like yeah, he's able to just completely dominate. Like it seems like all of them have the types of mechanics that can just take over games. Yeah, Borup is a little bit streakier, and I think that yeah. probably comes into play because of his role a little bit. But I remember Sponge said on the broadcast that I think in really top really notable team of notable teams the only player with a higher headshot percentage is twist. twist yeah yeah, yeah. so even with borup he's like his headshot percentage is just ridiculous too and and uh especially with borup where he's kind of alive a lot of the time in those late round situations you kind of want you sometimes really just want a guy that can headshot because it's the only way you're going to play yourself out of a situation is by finding very quick rifle kills from Situations yeah. like you can't spray. I'll say that. Like if you spray, you're probably gonna get traded in those kinds of positions. So Twist it is. It is cool. Us too. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you need you need that kind of like ability to pop off in those kinds of situations. All right. Um, I think we did a good job on heroic here. All right. Let's uh let's move forward off that. Um. Before okay. We, so before we move okay. forward, something I want to quickly touch on is I'm just curious to get you guys' thoughts on. There's some discussion about the the map advantage for the best of fives mm. uh, in these sort of brackets on Twitter. I think between Sponge and some some Astralis members and also some fans in general. Uh, so what are your, what's your guys' perspective on on stuff like a map advantage for a double elimination bracket in the grand final? Uh, I've never been too keen on like a whole map advantage, just because like I feel like for like really casual viewers, maybe that can also be kind of confusing, just in terms of like generally following stuff. And also just because, like, I don't know, just, just my hype for it and, like, everything, it just feels like it kills some of the hype for me. It's, like, in terms of, like, a grand final, one team is, like, a 1-0 advantage. That's kind of, like, a personal thing, I guess. But I I think maybe something like a veto advantage uh, would be better. But I feel like if you're playing, like, a BO3 or, like, a BO5 final, I kind of just want to play, like, the whole, you know, BO5 or BO3 and not just start, like, start up 1-0. Also, if you are going to give them a map advantage, at least don't let them pick the first map as well. Thank like, you. They yeah. Two zero, and it's like okay, uh, it, it it just feels like weird. That you would I do think that. veto advantage is fine because one that can be a very big advantage depending on what the actual uh, advantage is and how they do it. And two, like even for like you know like a casual viewer, like you don't even realize the difference most likely in terms of that because you're probably not like that deep into things. So like, I've never figured out a good way how to do the veto advantage. Yeah. That's the thing. I, I don't think I don't I think I don't want to see like picks before bands because I don't yeah. want to see someone. It needs to be like a minor a minor advantage, nothing like too mm. crazy, but like just like something I think would be fine. Maybe you pick like the first two maps or something after the bands. Something to. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know if the yeah I think I think if the because in a BO five also yeah. it's like it's not like you're like getting a massive advantage by picking the first two maps because like. You know, it's a BL5, like you have to play most of them either way, so traditionally the best it would go. Maybe getting a map pick and like first map you get to pick map and side. That seems really lopsided, but something to give them 
a reason to cherish the. I don't even think it'd be that lopsided to do like first yeah. two picks, and you get to pick the sides on both maps. Like yeah. I don't, like I don't even think that's that lopsided because it's pretty. It's not that difficult to like, if you're like playing a close final, close team. Like obviously, like it's a disadvantage, but like you can still win those maps. Like you yeah. still have good sides. Like it's not impossible. You're not like in a, an impossible hole to dig yourself out of. Like as long as you play well, like you're still gonna have like every chance in the world. Also, so, having the first two picks sort of makes up for not having that default map win because at least you have some form of decent advantage going into it. Yeah, like playing your first best first two maps, or like picking the first and the last map or something, making sure you. I have already know that, with, that like pros would one hundred percent complain about that. I feel like. Oh yeah. Don't complain. Exactly. Someone's gonna have a problem with something. Like nothing's gonna be perfect, but. The thing with double elimination brackets is that traditionally the way that they're supposed to be played is that when you reach the grand final, it should be two best of threes back to back. And the team who came from the upper bracket only has to win one. And the team from the lower bracket would have to win two best of yeah. threes. That's even... how a traditional best of three double elimination bracket is done. Uh, this whole best of five one map default advantages is like a way to not have the series be potentially six maps rather than four. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I don't mind. It's definitely it. like a hard thing, but yeah, I don't. I don't have. The, I'm not saying what I said is like the perfect solution or anything. So I I would just bring it back to I don't really like one map advantages though. I yeah. I think some of the most epic series like I just think of 2017 uh, epicenter between SK and VP. How sick that BO5 was because it it went all five maps. It was it was pretty back and forth. It was like uh like vp11 sk12 then it was like uh, it came down to the last map yeah so vp had to win the fourth one and then it was just like a double I mean, over to be honest just thing. in general for like online finals do we really need bo5 yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so much five online maps like i'm not gonna lie like <laughs> yeah i i don't need it as much i think i think this grand finals actually did deliver though i think yeah. it was surprisingly entertaining yeah, okay. uh, yeah, yeah. Bec because like it was the reverse sweep and i but I still would have liked to see the first map get played. Like I, I, yeah. I don't really. Like, yeah. A BO5 gonna... like is so much easier if like if there's like a whole arena and like a crowd because you know you're yeah. kind of into it like that rather than just watching five maps of pure Counter Strike. So... Yeah. Also, like touching on your epicenter example, I think that was one of the first times where a tournament used a best of five. Like it was pretty rare that we would see a best of five final before then, and that also lended to some of the hype yeah. that was around that yeah. final. The fact that best of fives are used so much nowadays oh, yeah. is like so way, often. way too much. Like yeah. IEM New York is an eight team tournament, but it has a best of five grand final. Like it's so oh, unnecessary. It's like I don't I don't mind if like the big events, like the big arena events. Like I remember watching ESL New York twenty eighteen when like Liquid and Mouse went five maps and like that was pretty hype all the way to be honest. Like I never felt like it was dragging on too long when I was there watching or anything. So I don't know. I've I've generally been fine with just starting with like just a standard BO5. I feel like you get an advantage just by getting through earlier as well, having a bit okay. more time. Just to touch on IEM New York being a BO5 finals, this is a, in NA, this is a $60,000 prize pool that's going for a BO5 grand finals. Like, <laughs> I know the RMR points are important, but come on, like, the difference in prize money is going to be like what these guys make in just a couple weeks. So I don't yeah. really. And it's also like RMR points for a major that we don't even like know what the major is. So <laughs> you don't even have that goal, really. It's just for the players, it's just going to be kind of like, okay, like it's another, it's another event. It's another yeah. event starting like three days after the last one. Yeah. 
So. Yeah, at one point does it just feel like, okay, we're, we got a heavy scrim schedule today. Oh wait, it's a grand finals. <laughs> okay, alright. Yeah. I think it's already somewhat like that, probably. Alright, alright. All right, let's 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 uh let's uh let's talk about what we think is going to be happening for New York. Let's start on the European side here. So I don't know if you guys can pull it all up on your own or if we can get the graphic for the teams. Yeah, okay, there we go. So uh let's do this. What teams actually I'm gonna do it um Okay, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it the same way we did it last time, which is uh, for for consistency's sake, who do you guys think it is going to make the grand finals of this tournament. We got eight teams here: Complexity, Vitality, Fnatic, G2 from Group A. Group B is Phase, OG, Big, and Heroic. All right, I'm going Vitality for my first one. It's the okay. only one I know. After that, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think Vitality would definitely be the the prime candidate for one of those spots. Um, I just feel like the most the most consistent overall out of the rest of these teams. I would have picked Complexity with their with their original lineup. Right now, I really don't know what their long-term form is going to look like. They've looked pretty decent with NATO, but uh, it's hard to tell going forward how they'll be. But I would say Vitality, and just from today, FaZe looked really good, but I'm, I'm so hesitant to pick FaZe because <laughs> yeah. their consistency is just so questionable. So I would say, I'm going to say Vitality and Big. Okay. okay. Here. So I'm gonna say Vitality, but I'm trying to figure out who they're gonna lose to in the final because they're French. That's <laughs> <laughs> the curse of Vitality at times. And G2, dude, feel bad for yeah. them. <laughs> so it's Haka, like, what are your, what's your, what's your prediction, Haka? I was gonna say Vitality as well, just because they are like the most like like if I pick Vitality, I know they're probably not gonna go out in the group at least, and if that happens, then I just look like a complete <laughs> yeah. The other thought I'm having is, like, I'm only a guest on this podcast, so if I say some outlandish shit, like, you guys can't call me out for it next week. No, so you're I, fine. I could just go completely crazy. You could just walk um, away. I, just, that, block, just block me on Twitter and what can we do? <laughs> just never talk to you again. <laughs> you are over in Hawaii. Like, I don't, I don't have to see you. Yeah, you're never, yeah, exactly. You think I'm going to fly uh, all the way to where you're at, like, anytime soon? Never. That would never happen. Never, never would happen. <laughs> never. never. <laughs> All right, do you want me to say some outlandish shit first? <laughs> sure. All right, the sure. final is going to be Vitality and OG, and OG's going to win. OG, oh. dude. I have no faith in OG. They lose every close game. I, I don't have faith in anyone else, so I just... That's true. I shot okay. the dark. <laughs> All right, Haka, throw out, your, throw out yours. I, I have mine. I've had mine from the beginning, so... <sighs> the I'm thing is, I want to say heroic, but they lost today and looked pretty bad, so now I like... Yeah, hey, you know what I mean? It's like, how am I supposed to know? Yeah, I, I, I think I still will say heroic, but like these teams are all like pretty inconsistent, a lot of them. So I'll, I'll say like vitality is the safe bet. And then I'm going to say heroic, but I'm, uh, I'm not feeling great about it. Let me just. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to go with vitality and fanatic, actually. I Ooh. think, Ooh. I think fanatic have had enough of a break after, uh, after ESL Pro League and, when they lost to Vitality, those were three incredibly close games. Two of them went to overtime. And I just think that Fnatic is going to walk over G2. I think that's actually just Fnatic's game all day. And then they're going to win the decider versus what I assume is going to be complexity. And then I don't think I don't just I just don't really see any team out of Group B beating them that is likely to come out in that first seed because the first seed team has to be either Phase or OG right now. 
And I think Fnatic just beats mm -hmm. either of them. So that's that's my I think prediction. Fnatic is actually a pretty good shout for that. It feels like because even just looking at their results, like anytime they lose, it's like to a pretty decent team and like generally like a somewhat close fashion. Like they at least got a map like one two to Astralis and O two to Vitality. So it's not like they're like having dismal performances. And they did look decent today against Vitality. So I could definitely see a. It also means that they're guaranteed to be on the opposite side of the bracket for Vitality. Which means yeah, that true. Potential true. for a final between them is pretty high. God, fucking 200 IQ prediction. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking with mine though. I'm just gonna lock it in. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna use logic or anything. Like, I'm yeah, I don't, I don't. I don't. I don't use logic. logic. Counter Strike I, doesn't make sense. I'm not gonna use logic for online Counter Strike ever. Exactly. <laughs> logic has never really worked for Counter Strike because at the end of the day. Every play works if you can just hit the shot. So that's yeah. uh, that's logic. I'll, I'll always maintain that CS is literally like seventy percent aim, and then there's everything else. Like, I mean, I I use logic for my prediction of big because it's online Counter Strike specifically. Oh, okay. All right, a little bit of a dig at them. All right, <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of fucked up, but yeah, I actually toxic. like watching them online, but or offline. I mean, but gotta yeah. get that in there, you know. Yeah. All right, speaking of going offline, it looks like we might have... Uh, I don't know if it's going to be LAN or what yet, uh, but there was an HLTV article about integrated LANs that are on the horizon, and I think Flashpoint just announced today the fact that they are going to... Okay, actually, I don't want to say anything that'll get me in trouble, I so someone else... I believe I saw on HLTV that Flashpoint yes. said it was going to be online, from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, I think... I think yeah, I think that's what I saw as well. I okay, let's uh yeah, we'll return next month with online action. I have no inside information yeah. here, so like I'm just saying what's yeah. what's this is just what HLTV says. Saying. Yeah, <laughs> right. Louise, right. Louise I like how said that uh, talent working out of a studio in London, so you're good. Mm -hmm. okay. Louise also said right. that FPX wouldn't be attending this season. Um, yes, did see that. Just based on not having our roster together yet. Uh, yeah. Also. Just gonna say we did skip over uh, the North American side of New York. Oh, uh, so if that, we want to go back to that after, that's good. That's a good point. We'll get back to that after the final news point. We'll do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's. Uh... Okay. So, integrated lands coming up in the future. I think this is something that I think this is just super exciting for just about everybody oh, yeah. in the scene. It we haven't seen NA teams play EU teams. With the exception of MIBR, let's not talk about that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so uh, this is good, though. This is good for the scene. We're going to finally see, okay, has EU been uh, maintaining their stride as the dominant region? Or ha does NA have something cooking for us? Because I'm just going to say it, that I think that FURIA could have probably top three at ESL EU. I think they surely could. I think they look better to me than Heroic has looked, for example, in a lot of cases. I don't know if they would have beat Na'Vi or Astralis at this event, but I think they easily could have beaten Heroic, so... Yeah, uh, I'd like to see, yeah. like, EG or... I think EG or Furia would both be pretty good. Dude, played pretty yeah, well in EU. Liquid, I think, would be a bit more up and down at the moment, as they're still trying to get integrated and understand how they want to play with Grimm. Yeah. Yep. I was going to ask, like, what, what do you guys, like, think the most, like, hype matchup could be? Because I'm thinking, like, I really want to see Furia against Astralis on Vertigo. Yeah. I just want to see that so badly. I want to see if Art still gets away with his crazy pushes, because I feel like he could. Like, I feel like he genuinely could just fuck him up, honestly. I think yeah. the last time they clashed on Vertigo, it went towards Astralis, if I recall correctly, just because they had, did a really good job of holding back for that specific sort of aggression. 
But the thing with Furia is that they reinvent themselves every time yeah. they get caught out like that. So it won't be the same match, which is why I really enjoy watching them. I want Furio to play Navi, and I want to see Boomich like try to Ooh. replicate art. Dude, that would that that's a good clash. Yeah, that's that's actually really good because the way Boomich plays some of his spots is just like playing for info. Yeah. But when Art's just flying at you and you try to right click a smoke, <laughs> like you don't know if he's flying through that. Actually, <laughs> I mean, you get uh, the info. It's just that you're dead and that there's one in that <laughs> position. You know. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I'd I'd really like to see uh, Furio versus Fnatic. That little Art JW head to head. They're basically mm, yeah. just all picking Furia from NA, by the way. It's hard to really pick. They, they, play like, yeah. they play like good Counter-Strike. Like, yeah, not that Furia doesn't play, but EG is just kind of playing like standard. So it's like, there's obviously, and obviously yeah. we've seen a lot of the matchups before. But while with Furia, we kind of haven't, Furia changes like so much, even from like when we first went to online, that it's always fun to see them play new teams. Yeah, to me, if you want to shadow box where EG would end up in some of these, I feel like you just take OG, but better. OG, but just a little bit better across the board, because their styles, to me, are relatively similar. They kind of play uh, sometimes that reactive style, but they can both have oppers that just kind of pop off. Montu is just a little bit more passive than Cirque, I would say, but they both are really consistent for their teams. And like, I, I feel like I could just go across the board and just name the players. NBK is Tarek, Lexi B is Stanislaw. Law. Isa Valde, probably Isa's the Ethan and Valde's more of the breeze, but or yeah, I, I feel like this yeah. team just kind of matches up on paper like really well in terms of just who is who. But I would give the edge to EG. So yeah, if in any tournament you just see OG standing, just be like EG would probably do like one better or maybe maybe two better for from my perspective for my uh, two cents. EG actually win their own map pick though is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's uh, EG would be a lot of fun to watch in Europe, especially because they they won four back to back tournaments or three back to back tournaments. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it was super and hot. It sort of sucks for them because like they've really hit their stride, but now they're only playing against North America. So it's a it's hard to judge where they would sit at a at a top world level, but it's also it's also like this whole online era puts doubt as to as to which team is really the top in the top five because you can't compare the two regions. Right, right. NA is legit enough now that it's not like you just see this team coming out of Asia and you're like, okay, is this team good or are they just playing other Asian teams, right? Like, NA is a legit enough region where <laughs> right. you know that EG will be, would be like, even if they were in Europe, I would say easily a top 10 team. Like, I don't have any doubts about that whatsoever. It's just like, once you get to the tip top, like when they face Astralis, when they face uh, Navi, what kind well, of form like, are they into? No one else has really been able to like stay consistent the whole time either. So right. I doubt EG would come in and be able to do the same. They probably have their ups and downs as well. I just got yeah. PTSD from Maui mentioning Asian Counter Strike because I casted some of it this weekend, <laughs> and oh my god, Tai Lu now just like push everything all the time. I, I mean, we don't need to talk about Tai Lu because they're not relevant. But oh okay, you gotta god. if you gotta get off this off your chest, then no, I already did it. This is your platform. Cast, I already did. Dude, it I love Asian, I love Asian CS pushes. I love seeing shit like first gun round dude has an MP9 on Mirage CT side and is like pushed all the way up mid at like 140. It's like something I've seen before. Like already in the T spawn at like 135. And yeah, there's like, there's like a player in B apps like like spotting mid, like jump spotting it, you know, to see if anyone there. And then he just comes up close and just kills him. That guy's probably just doesn't understand what he's playing. I I love watching Asian CS for the ways that they can create losing conditions for themselves in rounds that have no <laughs> yeah. business being lost. Just Literally. like you have a five v three advantage, and then suddenly you just be like, 
let's peek them all one by one aggressively, like with no flash support, no trade potential. Let's just look for the info because for some <laughs> reason we can't just create a five. When we have all five of our players alive, we are in a state of discomfort that's greater than if we just want to like that. We just need to peek. Like it's just I've seen somebody can't uh, shake it. I don't know if he's still on this roster or not, but like. There was like one of the old Tyree rosters was playing mouse sports. It was like a four v two, and somebody like instead of like he it was like a four v two instead of like falling back with the op like he could have, yeah. he instead decided to like hide in a smoke like right 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 next to the players and just sit in the smoke and wait for it to dissipate and dissipate and then he no and then he no scoped one of them and then like and then got <laughs> traded. So it just yeah. ended up in like a one v three. So I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But whatever. <laughs> The, the, thing, the thing that was tilting me so much is that Tyloo were clearly just more skilled than everyone. And yet every <laughs> game was like 16, 14. Cause they just, they just, I don't, I, I actually don't understand what they're doing sometimes. Like I, I just watched them sit outside of B for a retake for 20 seconds and then throw one flash over and be like, yeah, th th this will work. Like, <laughs> this sure. Is good. Like, I'm just sitting there like, guys, what are you doing? But um, we probably don't need to talk about Asian counter strike. To be yeah, honest. that's enough. That's, 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 <laughs> that's enough uh, for the podcast. That's, that's, that's the only yeah. one I'll allow. Yeah, we gave it the respect that it deserves. Okay, all right. Uh, recent oboe interview actually conducted by Note, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, uh, yeah, so uh, some interesting details from his his time with Complexity there. The uh, the main headline here, the team show no interest in ever returning to America here. Uh, this is a... I'm not going to go too much into really the infrastructure of complexity i mean they have three european players i think this kind of in a way makes sense uh if you're if the majority of your teammates are from a, a region you would probably want to be playing from that region but um this this again uh puts them on the open market but um i, I okay no actually what have you ascertained from the interview the, the things you've said with oboe i guess that may strike people that otherwise they would it, maybe for people that didn't read the interview actually what what are some of the the key points from this well so something i want to touch on is that the for for the team itself it makes complete sense for them to stay in europe just based on the players they have and the way they're finding success there I think what a lot of people don't see for Oboe's perspective is the fact that when he went to join Complexity, he was toured around Dallas. He was shown the Dallas Cowboys like headquarters. They showed that this whole facility, like, look what we built for you guys. Uh, come here and like, this is going to be our headquarters. It's going to be where the team plays out of. And they played out of there for a while. And that's the sort of dream he was sold on. Um, and this isn't coming from him. This is just based on what I, I believe would be the situation because that's what he was shown and what he was told would be the future of complexity counter-strike and that they would be based out of here primarily. And they would spend like a month in Europe to boot camp like twice or three times a year or something along those lines. Right. Uh, but it basically ended up where the majority of what he, he, the, the picture he had in his head of how this team would play out was completely shifted because of, because of COVID and the fact that the team decided to be based out of Europe instead. And so he spent, basically the last seven, eight months uh, going between like London, Denmark, Serbia. And for, for a 17-year-old kid to be stranded in a different country entirely while all of this is happening in the world is, is not like an easy, it's not an easy thing to adapt to for a kid that age, right? And generally for, for most people, I would say, uh, but especially when you have like far less experience because there's also Rush over there who, who went through the same situation, but Rush is also, like, he's played on 
multiple top teams, and he's also a much older player. Um, so he's <laughs> he's just been able to adapt a lot easier. Let me let me just speculate for a moment here, which is something I I try to avoid as much as possible. But mm. I'll say this: if if <laughs> he's he was touring Europe with Rush, right? Like, yeah. I I have to assume that Rush. Despite he seeming like a great guy, probably just couldn't have been like you would hope from if you're Jason Lake that Rush will just be Oboe's best friend. And if Rush were that big brother best friend that Oboe probably needed in this kind of time, I think Oboe would have still been there. And I think Rush has done a great job with helping bring this complexity roster together. And and I mean, he's a play at the end of the day, he's just a player, but he was not as much of a glue guy as I'm sure Jason Lake would have wanted to keep Oboe around. Like you would want him to be like if if he if for example like he were his best friend, I think Oboe is still in Europe, for example. Yeah. Like yeah, so that's just that's not like a dig at anybody here. That's not like an insult. Like I don't I'm not saying that Rush needed to sign up to also be a babysitter for Oboe or really his not best friend. Contract. <laughs> but we can we can assume from this now that the I probably Kita Rush and Oboe kind of dynamic probably wasn't just the most amicable for, or really just like overly friendly for Oboe. If it were, or yeah, they, if they fraternized a little bit better, maybe he's still there in Europe. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. well, I think it also just comes down to like more so than just being in Europe for that period of time. It more comes down to like not knowing when it's actually when you're actually going back. Yeah, so just the oh, absolute cool. uncertainty of it, and like not knowing what's happening with the UK and, like, where he was stuck and, like, just, like, the uncertainty of things. And so that completely changes it if, like, he was to join another team and, like, say he, like, goes back to Europe for the end of the year. You know, it's it's a completely different situation if he's going there and he knows he's going there with the rest of his team and he knows exactly when he's going back. You know, it's, like, this really set thing. You know, he's just going there to play and then he's going back to NA to, to live. So it's a completely different dynamic from where he was in complexity, which is stuck in, like, kind of no man's land, not really understanding where the future is going to hold not knowing when he's really going to get back to America, worry about being like locked down in, in Europe. So it's just like a whole, a whole, the whole dynamic of everything that's happening just really escalates it for him. Yeah. yeah I think the, the uncertainty was definitely the biggest aspect of it, just based on being there for so long and still having no idea as to when, when the team would re return was a huge impact on his decision. Also, I personally, I think, I can see it from both sides. I think him dipping out before the EPL playoffs concluded wasn't the greatest way you could, it could have been done. But at the same time, there's only a two-day break between EPL and, and New York. So you really, from his point of view, he's giving the team a longer period of time to find a replacement because there was a, a couple of days break between the, playoff, the group stage and the playoffs for EPL. So he was giving the team more time to find a replacement in his eyes. I think finishing it out, finishing out EPL would probably have reflected better on him. But I also I think it just had something to do out. with the conditions in the UK or something in terms of right. lockdown. And there was like some other like social things that I'm pretty sure were going on that was like threatening him having to like stay if he like stayed longer okay. or like or something he was just worried about because, you know, that gives you a lot yeah. of anxiety not being sure. So like, you know, just in yeah. his mind, just wanted to get out. Yeah, Haka, how's it how's it shaken down over there? Uh, I mean, the numbers are definitely going up. It's it's not like terrible, I guess, but that there definitely is the feeling that like yeah, like a, a lockdown or something could could come through soon. Like I know the UK compared to a lot of European countries isn't doing great, 
I've got to say, though, I do love the idea of like Oboe first joining Complexity, being shown around this Dallas Cowboy stadium and stuff. And then like a year later, he's in a hotel in Serbia and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened here? What the hell is going on? Like, yeah. I, th- I think it's fair to uh, have some question marks at that point. But um, <laughs> j- just talking about Oboe, a couple of things. Firstly, right, when I was 17, this is something I would have never have done. He just randomly followed me on Twitter and DM'd me like, I really like your content. Keep it up. And like when I was 17, I just never do that. So I feel like that already kind of tells you what sort of like person he is, right? Like that, that's just a really nice thing to do. And then secondly, uh, we should probably talk about him as a player. I think like for me, Oboe is a guy in the future who I could see rounding out a roster and genuinely making them like a, a top team in the world, like a contender. Because some yes. of the spots he's playing, like on CT side, he's yeah, playing he plays tough spots. Yeah. yeah, he's so consistent. He's so young, like... This guy has a lot of qualities where in the future he doesn't need to take up that much space and gets a lot done and is super consistent. Like these are all things that I'm I'm looking at and I'm loving. If I'm like Gen G over in NA right now, I'm I'm looking straight at this guy. Yeah. I think it was really telling because my two of my final questions were how's your relationship with the rest of your team given your sudden departure? And it was just the couple of word answer which is as good as can be expected yeah which is a little bit worrying uh just yeah it does sum it up it's a little bit worrying just based on on i hope he hasn't burnt any bridges based on it um that sounds more like there's no bridges burnt but obviously people are naturally uh upset at the situation yeah Yeah. i think the cool yeah go on and and then finally, I asked him if I asked specifically about Genji being tipped as the destination for him because it seems to be the only North American team that's looking to really add players or make a change at the moment that would be able to play at that level. And he just left it at anything is possible, which sort of I can't tell if that means that he has nothing lined up or if if he's still if he's going to ride out a couple of months and wait for the right opportunity to come up. Yeah, I feel like he's just keeping his options open. I'm not reading yeah. too much yeah. into that line. I think he probably doesn't know himself. He's just yeah. whatever happens. Yeah, I think the news or the the line that struck me the most is maybe Obo just being a little bit wiser beyond his years is um, when he said, "I wish I could have given the team more time, but if I waited any longer, I would only be wasting precious time for them to find a suitable replacement." And that felt like a really mature response. Mm. That it was actually like, "I'm kind of doing these guys a service." by leaving when I did, even though even though it was kind of like iffy to to leave right before the playoffs, like that's a that's an answer that he's almost like, I don't want to coddle complexity anymore at this point. Like, I'm going to just like cut him off, cut him off and uh, just they got to figure this out on their own. Like, they can't just keep relying on me. And then it's like, bro, you're 17. Like, you're acting like you're kind of in control of this. I break up with my girlfriend when I was 17. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, now that we've uh, touched on Oboe and a rising talent, let's let's go back to what we were talking about earlier with the IEM New York NA predictions. All right, so a few teams that people might not be too familiar with. Um... And I'll just break down actually a couple of these teams briefly because I know a few users are probably looking at this lineup and just like, who the hell are these bottom four teams? So <laughs> um, I think people kind of know Mythic just because they're the stream team. You can just stream, you can just tune into any of them and uh, you don't really expect a lot out of them, like maybe a win here or there out of this group, but since like a, a map win or something like that, but it's hard for me to see them beating any teams other than really RBG in that group B. 
I feel like the other teams are just a little bit too prepared. Like, maybe a chance for Team 1. But uh, the other teams, New England Whalers, they've kind of been the dominant MDL team for the regular season. It feels like these, are, these guys are kind of the kings of BO1s uh, against similar tiered competition they just have a good structure to them and they kind of know what their game plan is their win conditions uh ben lee is probably the most notable player from that team because he served uh, on the chaos roster for a while before he was replaced by smuya and that's just an upgrade that really i don't think chaos could have overlooked rbg is a team that was kind of the top team in advance for a while i don't think they they didn't end up winning the advanced division here in north america but they came top three but they're a team that people are liking them for the fact that they're bringing structure to kind of the tier two, tier three scene in North America. Rebirth is a weird one. Uh, this team has gone through a couple of changes, but Rechi is a player I've played with in the past. Exotic. This is the exotic that was on Splice a really long time ago. And we've heard the complaints from his former teammates <laughs> about who he is as a player. But one thing I'll Stop say is that instantly popped up in my head just... <laughs> yeah another podcast that i've been on before they, they have some semphis in particular has had some choice <laughs> words about exotic so like uh, go back through the archives if you want to hear about that um the other players on the team four pack's been a really solid talent for them but other than that it's kind of just like mdl meddling mdl talent imperium esports is the strangest replacement for me this is a team that uh, wasn't actually even supposed to be in the Mountain Dew League, but because Swole Patrol dropped out of the MDL, Imperium is now in that league. And they're not actually, they don't look like they're completely out of their element, but they're definitely a team when you see IEM New York and you read that headline, like that title, that you wouldn't really expect a team like Imperium to be at. Um, so with that out of the way, uh, what do you guys think? Uh, who do you think is going to... Actually, I'll make it a little trickier, because instead of Grand Finals, where I think we would just always attribute this to just EG Furia, uh, let's do what teams do you think are making it out of the groups? And so you guys are aware the top three teams, if I'm not mistaken, will make it out of each of these groups. Yes, top three teams. So before we make any predictions, just something to clear up. There are a couple of different roster issues going into this tournament, uh, just based on the fact that uh, a couple of the rosters ended up getting locked uh, at the date of the close qualifier. Uh, so yeah. some of these teams were able to still use their or swap out their rosters heading into this tournament. But for example, Chaos won't be able to use Marquee because he played for a different team during the close qualifier. Soul Patrol. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think. Yeah. And so instead, they're going to have to use Wrath for in place of Marquee, which is not a bad replacement, honestly. Um, Rebirth, I'm actually not sure whether they're using 4-pack or Sneaky. Um, oh, right. Yeah. I'm not sure whether they're... Because they also played in the closed qualifier, but they were then invited as a replacement. So I'm not sure whether their roster is locked to 4-pack or to Rechi. Or sorry, to 4-pack or to Sneaky. And crucially, I think one of the really... The, the two big teams that are affected out of this would be Triumph and New England Whalers because Whalers can't actually use their latest edition, which is B-Wills. Uh, right. who's actually been playing really well for them in MDL. They have to instead use Booby, who they have not practiced with uh, actively for months, basically. And then Triumph had to... Triumph for playing without their coach because they had to use a coach slot to substitute in a player. Um, so they're using Curry instead of uh, Ryan, and then they use their coach slot to substitute in Moose. And so they don't have to see this behind them either. 
Jeez. So those are just some things some to keep in mind going Crazy going predictions. Uh, EG, Furia, Triumph, and then Liquid, 100 Thieves, and Chaos. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that's a... That's really bold of you, Mix. How did you come <laughs> up with that? <laughs> all right. Well, maybe we don't need to touch on it. I think I think we are all going to make those predictions. Is anyone not <laughs> going to say that? <laughs> actually sounds about right. To you, me. Could, you could say you could argue for like Team One over Chaos. Yeah. A little upset there. Like that's yeah. not that's not impossible, especially because Chaos has a stand-in. But yeah, I still think Chaos will win. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Okay, yeah. I I uh. I'll say this, a little anecdote. I, I just actually had to slot in for my MDL team, or for the team I played on last season, and we played New England Whalers. They were really solid, but the fact that they don't have B-Wills, like, B-Wills was shoving his rifle down our throats at times, it felt like, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm a little disappointed I was, they actually, don't have him. I actually do rate B-Wills, so not having him hurts a bit. And also, yeah. RPG is also another team that I think is good, but I don't think they quite have the skill yet to compete with Chaos if they, no, they got to that situation. They could compete with, like, Team 1. They could give them a match, but they could compete with Team One and Mythic. I'll say yeah. in their group, but they, I yeah. could see them like taking a map from Chaos. But like a whole series, I think might be might be a bit much. Even I think them. I think they could take a okay. So they, I think they could probably take a map off of of Liquid if the veto goes just right. But it's like su like it'd be really really tough. Like it, they're gonna have to overcome some crazy heroics, which will definitely come out of the Liquid side just based off of the skill differential between the two teams. Yeah, but Imperium. Okay, Imperium. I just scrimmed that team also when I was warm. Did my one warm up scrim for the New England Whalers game, and we we kind of bodied Imperium. So I'm not really too happy that this is how this <laughs> tournament is shaping up. But I just had to go. I just had to throw that out there. I have to like, well, give myself a little bit of credit as a player sometimes. Like, what yeah, if we I, make this at the expense little... of Imperium? I'm sorry, Carter J. <laughs> what if we make this a little harder and, and try and predict who ends up at the bottom of each of these groups? Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. And I just want to say, I God. rating 2.0 for Mousenik past three months, 0. 0.64. <laughs> Wait, how many maps, though? How many maps? Gosh. Damn. Oh, like three? Like four. Okay. Mm. I'll say the bottom of the group will be Rebirth then, and uh, oh, man, it's tough to say between Rebirth and Imperium for me. Mm -hmm. I'll say, I'll say, Jeta, I'll say Imperium. Us, I'll say I'll, Imperium, and I'll say I have Imperium. to do Imperium. I'm Imperium and who? I don't know enough about NACS to, to know Mythic. most of these teams, but I'd, having heard that they Mythic, went against oh. Maui in a in a scrim, I'm predicting that. It was it Imperium you said? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll predict them, Bob. Yeah, I'm going to say Imperium and RBG, but I think RBG will be able to take a couple of maps or overtime victories over over players, but I don't think that they'll be able to to put up a series win, unfortunately. All right. Just be a sheep and copy everyone. Sounds good to yeah. me. Yeah, you don't want to be rude. You're you're not... This is not your turf. <laughs> is Jen playing for Mythic again? I didn't know that was a Yeah, should yeah, be, yeah. He is. Okay. Yep, he is. Ooh. I need to watch this then. I like this. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see it. Um, okay, let's move. Let's move on from that. All right. So this is going to be a slightly new segment, and it's just something that I've had kind of stirring. And as we as we get through these these first few uh, uh, podcasts and just try to find our direction here, this is going to be something that uh, some bit of a recurring segment, and it's going to be the question of the week. So uh, this is going to be something that's a little bit more, I, I'd say, philosophical in nature. Just kind of like. A broader topic that has no real correct answer but just kind of use logic or really whatever evidence you have to to uh 
really fight for your opinion here. And I don't mind if, you, and, and like, we should, like, this is a segment where I think arguing with each other is totally warranted because there's no, there's, there is no right answer. So no hurt feelings at the end of the day. So I wanted to ask for you guys, how do you guys think matchups play a factor in actual series, in a series? Uh, so what we saw from ESL Europe was that Heroic owned Astralis and Navi owned Heroic, but then Navi didn't own Astralis. And they play, I would say, their own characteristic and unique styles of play. Do you think there's kind of a rock, paper, scissors at play here? Do you guys think that certain types of styles will just, in a way, beat other styles? Or do you guys think, like, any style is viable against any style? Uh, I guess I have the most experience with this, so I guess I'll go first. But I think it, it varies so much, just based on not even just, like, the teams themselves and how they play but also the prep the teams are doing and how they're interpreting like what the other team is doing. Because you can completely like interpret teams differently like from one team to the other. Like One team could see the style of a certain team and just completely get a different perspective from, from another team. So it, it really depends a lot on the things that you're seeing that you want to abuse as your weaknesses, the things that you think that like are their strengths and the things that you expect them to kind of team lean towards. And so I think it's just, it's just like... There's so much going on at each individual matchup, and so much like so much context that goes into like each different matchup, mostly in the way of the prep and like the recent games teams have been playing, and like what what things have been working for you recently. That it's a very it's a very like match to match thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think as well something that that is definitely worth bringing up with this is is just preparation in general. Like I think uh, it, it almost feels fair at this point to say that i wouldn't quite call it a, like an anti-strang era or an anti like you know prepping era but like a lot of teams are taking this sort of stuff way more seriously right like genuinely teams will now be looking exactly what your opponents are doing all the time uh, i know that complexity are using that that refrag tool on the sea to do a lot of stuff and like try and specifically count their executes and loads of teams have analysts who are who are literally trying to go into like Okay, if they throw an aid here, they're gonna do this every time, right? There's there's just no. so much stuff going on in terms of I would never no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like like I, I think that there is a lot to to take from that. And then at the same time, there are teams that probably don't do that anywhere near as much, right? Like like Mix was kind of saying. Like I can't Yeah, it's imagine. like to different extents. Like you can find yeah different things based on what you're looking for and how much you're looking for things like you could find some wild shit and like get some wild info based off just various timings of like spam or stuff like there's a lot of different shit that you can find and like it just depends like how deep you go into the teams and like what you're able to find and the things you think you can you, the things that you think you can exploit yeah like, so there's that aspect and then there's also like the actual stylistic aspect which i think is less important like to me yeah, if a team yeah. is kind of doing their style more like well or much better than the other team they're probably just going to win most of the time that's more of like a definitely like a natural thing that happens rather than something you're like actually playing for like it's just kind of like how your team is naturally set up and how it kind of like naturally collides with the other team and how they play that's not really something that like you're setting the pace with a lot it's just something that it's just kind of like a natural thing based on how you guys practice how you guys think about the game you know just in general i think that certain styles definitely don't match up against others very well like navi's navi have like when Navi are on form, they have they can usually match up against most styles of teams. But if they're not all hitting their stride, like they're they're 
stylistic play does come back to bite them in a in a lot of senses. Like we saw versus Astralis, like that force by strategy and the way that they sort of try and change their pace doesn't really work against a team like Astralis when they're not actually all hitting their immediate shots. Um, also, like touching on what Haka mentioned is like complexity do use that refrag tool a lot. Like there's a clip of Blamef talking about uh, anti-stratting a team on Nuke where when he saw a specific smoke come down onto Mini, uh, he knew that there would be Zewu throwing a single flash over Mini for his teammate, and he just played way out in the open next to next to Invincible, and he just was facing the wall. He, if anybody just walked up, they could have killed him, but he knew specifically that that smoke paired with, would always be paired with that flash and a player trying to go into Mini. And he just played into the wall, heard that flash pop, turned and got a free kill, and it's that level of anti-stratting is something that I wonder how many teams are going to start also going into using refrag. I've seen Astralis players using it a little bit more as well. Um, so when when you reach stylistic levels like that, the game entirely changes when teams are going that deep into into anti stratting your playbook. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely ref one thing. Refrag is good for it. That like I use Rewind, which is like kind of a program that still isn't like publicly out there. It's been around for a while though. Um, it's like one thing that's good for refrag is it helps the players themselves like be able to kind of see things. Um, it kind of helps to be able to see things like in the situation, like in the moment, and be able to understand like the kind of sights and sounds that you're gonna hear, so that you know how to react and you can like confidently do it. Because doing something like that, like just turning and facing away, does take like an extra element to yourself of like having that trust in the, in the strat. Even if like you know, you know, like it still takes a, a big element of trust there to actually do that. And like actually put your back to the wall and like you know have full faith that this is like what's happening. So it's also a question of getting players that are more like willing to do that and kind of have that trust. And that's something that kind of I think will evolve with time, and something that I think will become more and more prominent as the game kind of progresses. It's something that I think happens in sports too. Um, you know, like using just any tendency or advantage you can find just just to exploit. I also just quickly think as well that there are also some teams that just don't give away things like that as obviously. Like mm -hmm. there are some teams where if they throw one smoke, you can't just assume that they're going to yeah. do certain one teams thing. and yeah. leaders do a better job than others. Like because yeah. generally when I prep for a team, I can see the teams that like obviously are aware of the stuff and like are actively you know trying to make all their shit look the same, and other teams that don't really care or don't really don't really understand like how much impact it can have. I think the the style of calling, like kind of in a mid round, like or <clears throat> like halfway through a half, uh, kind of can be a style shift that is is like is noted. And uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that so I'll, I'll just use an example that Kerrigan, for example, I think is one of the best IGLs at recognizing what styles mid game are effective versus another team and which styles are. I mean, basically being very pragmatic about his approach. Is the default working? Are our set plays working? And so I think he takes the reins in those kind of respects to find out what style would be effective in the game that he's actually in. Like, when they played Na'Vi on Nuke to open up this uh, ESL EU bracket, um, they ran four defaults, and all of them lost, but every set play won, I noted, for the entire half on T-side. And they won 10 rounds on T-side. So it's kind of like, I think... I think that kind of matter. The it matters in terms of 
if you can find the the style of play in a game that's working best for you and that can be before the game that could be during the match itself so i think that styles do matter in a sense like i've noticed like teams like og and Fnatic for me in particular it feels like they go into rounds with a certain kind of philosophy like everyone be a lot more aggressive this round even though you're going to do it independently and then sometimes every this round everybody just play passively we're going to make a mid-round call based off of it so but then you see a team like heroic and it's like you kind of knew what the game plan was in this round pretty much to start like it, it was pretty apparent like based off of the utility that they were using like they're going to go for mid control here and they're really forcing bodies to try to find this this sort of split and then navi for example just always almost every round for navi i did see a couple set plays actually at this tournament so that was refreshing from them but at times it's just like it feels like they're just def they're kind of doing this solo independent aggressive default style where electronic is really taking the point and simple's really taking the point in this round and they're just kind of like letting them work and i i think there's just the thing that's kind of struck me when i posed this question is that i thought like oh okay like set play styles will be really good against people that are in aggressive defaults a lot of the time or like um people that use very aggressive defaults will probably beat people that are in kind of defensive defaults because they're just going to kind of choke them out but then when i watch it that's kind of that's kind of true but it's there's like so many little micro instances where yeah it's just so basically it's like each individual matchup between like each team like from map to map has its own little like metagame developed as yes, like the game yeah. continues so like like how the first gun round plays out and like what strat the t's run like can completely change like how the rest of the half plays out just because of how people are going to from there like react to things and like what they're going to be expecting like the the metagame of like each individual map of counter-strike even though it might look the same all the time is like going to be entirely different how it plays out and so just how it's evolving and how teams are changing and adapting like like you said with the mouse example um on big i mean on nuke against big like late in the half i noticed against, against starts... navi but yeah or oh sorry so yeah so they played big on nuke and it's kind of like a similar thing where at first things weren't really working for them but kerrigan was able to you know kind of adjust he was able to kind of start attacking ct more because he knew big was going to start like trying yeah. to push lobby off of that and so he was just setting up rops to kind of kill people pushing in so you know like a good way of like developing the metagame understanding like where big's having success and like what things you can punish to like get yourself to the closing rounds and then the end you know just finding out that little adjustment to get two rounds at the end of the half ends up winning them the game so I think Kerrigan's like a really good example of a leader who can shift his style versus what team he's playing, for sure. I think also Blame F and Golden have done really good with complexity and, and Fnatic in that sense. Like they also, they both have pretty noticeable styles, but they're also very good at shifting it when they when they feel it's necessary, depending on their opponent. And I think that's a huge part as to why Fnatic was super successful. Uh, especially at the beginning of this year, and why complexity in general has been shooting up very fast. Like they know that they can't play a certain style against every team; they have to change up what they're doing, and that's a huge factor in it. Yeah, I think Astralis also do this pretty well in uh, in certain games. Like I, I know in the game in their rematch against Heroic on Vertigo. They started the half by going A a lot and it wasn't working. And then they did just about do enough to like feign that A presence and be able to go back to B. And, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So yeah, when they, I, I watched that and I was like, um, because because like at first they were like, they were getting like the opening picks on their A, the A attacks, yeah. like defaults and stuff. And then they would keep like trying to go into A and they were getting picked off by like Kadian or like Stavin second opping, like just 
continues to getting picked off there. So they open up the rest of the half by... I mean, they're still having success in that default on A, so they continue going there, they continue abusing that. But then, you know, after that, knowing Heroic's probably still going to be adjusting for A, at least somewhat, you know, you go back to B and you start abusing that a little bit more. And then, you know, another example of Heroic being so good at that is there's, like, one round late in the half where they, like, triple-nated Stavin on B, I think. Like, they, they saved the triple-nade to, like, triple-nade his default spot. And so, obviously, that made Heroic, like, super over-rotate the B because, you know, they're expecting, oh, they're abusing B now. And then that round, Heroic, I mean, Astralis actually goes back up to A and, you know, it uses it. And so just constantly changing the pace and constantly being annoying like that. And Astralis just always has, like, the right answer. It's, like, super impressive. All right. I think that'll do it here. So, uh, Haka, do you have anything you want to plug for the viewers? I guess my uh, my YouTube is, I think you just search Hawker. It'll probably come up. You can see my Twitter down there as well. Um, yeah, not much else. I, I think I'm going to be casting at DreamHack soon, so that'll be fun. You can watch out for that as well. And yeah, that's it. Uh, just thanks for having me on. It's been a, a good chat. Yeah, I'll be sure to feed you all the points I got for that upcoming DreamHack. So. Hell yeah. All right. All right, I think that'll be it for episode two of It's Server Time. Actually, no, and Mix, actually. Do you guys have anything uh, quickly if you guys want to shout anything out? Shout out Cloud9. Shout out C9. Is that, I think that's going to be Mix's shout out every single week. <laughs> Just shout out C9 and the sponsors. All right. So uh, that's going to be it here, folks. Hopefully you guys enjoyed It's Server Time Episode 2. Next episode will be coming out next week. And we have another uh, guy that's been pretty prolific on YouTube coming up. So enjoy that one as well, we'll be, where we will be recapping what happens at IEM EU and uh, kind of touching on what's going on on the NA side as well. But as for us, that's going to be it. Thanks for joining us here.